people that didn't know me but saw what I was doing thought I was running like a Ponzi scheme or, or something <laughs> sketchy. Welcome back to the Spreading Success Podcast. My name is Ram Rafiv and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Hirsch. How are you doing today, man? Dude, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. This is the first podcast episode with my shaved head. So I'm trying to uh, kind of looks weird when I'm looking at it because I'm so used to this long hair. But uh, for those people watching on the video, I just shaved my head a few days ago, but I'm trying to make the most out of it. Hopefully it grows back uh, <laughs> just in time for this quarantine to be over. But how are you doing, man? Dude, I, I'm good. I mean, super fortunate overall. Um, I think there's certain days where you go a little bit crazy, just like uh, just like everyone else. But I think just head down, working on a new venture, um, pretty exciting. That's awesome, man. So just for the listeners that are not familiar with what you do, can you kind of just fill them in on who you are and some of the projects you're working on? Uh, yeah. So I was a longtime Amazon seller. I started when I was 20 out of my college dorm room. And uh, scaled a pretty large Amazon business, sold over $25 million over six or seven years and scaled that business using virtual assistants. Uh, college kids were, were pretty unreliable. So <laughs> I turned to the remote hiring world, the Upworks and the Fivers. And from there, I hired some good VAs and I started building a hiring process, but I always wanted something faster, something better than the Upworks and the Fivers. So I kept looking and looking and when I couldn't find it, I said, you know what, I'm going to build this myself. And I launched my own marketplace called FreeUp. And the cool thing about FreeUp is we pre-vetted VAs and freelancers before they get on the platform. We match them up quickly. On the back end, 24-7 support in case either side had even the smallest issue and a no turnover guarantee. If someone quit, we covered replacement costs. And we started that with a $5,000 investment. We organically scaled that from 5,000 to a million to 5 million to 9 million to 12 million last year. And we were actually acquired at the end of last year, which is kind of cool. Um, the cool thing about FreeUp is it was run entirely by VA. So we have this eight-figure business, no office, no U.S. employees, 35 remote VAs in the Philippines, no office in the Philippines, doing all the day-to-day -day operations. So when we sold FreeUp, people started reaching out and saying, hey, can you teach us how you did it, your systems, your processes? And we launched this course called Cracking the VA Code, under the brand Outsource School. And this course taught people how to interview, onboard, train, and manage VAs, our exact processes. And I think like anything else, whenever you start a new venture, you never know if people are going to like it, hate it, somewhere in between. And we took it to market and people liked it and they started asking for more. So we started launching mini courses all about operation, all around operations and marketing, how to hire VAs for bookkeeping, for lead generation, for getting on podcasts, for, um, for partnerships and, and stuff like that. So we started launching that. We wrapped it all together and turned it into a membership where if you buy our main course, Cracking the VA Code, you get one-year access to every other course we come out with. You get access to our community that we're building, a Facebook group, a year of support if you run into any VA needs. And we also have the same developer that uh, built the free app marketplace working on some SOP and some VA software that will be included for our members as well. So that's what we're working on now, building Outsource School. And that's kind of the, the short, how I went from Amazon to free up to now uh, Outsource School. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, going back even before Amazon, was there anything that you were doing where, you know, flipping sneakers, doing anything like that? Or was this Amazon business like the first thing that you're like, okay, like I like entrepreneurship. This is what I want to do with my life. 
Yeah. So growing up, my parents were both teachers and I always grew up thinking that I was going to go to college, get a real job, work for 30 years, retire, and that would be my life. And um, my parents always made me get these full-time jobs. From the time I was 15 on, I was working 20, 30, 40 hours a week. And I learned a lot about sales and marketing and and just business in general. I also learned how much I hated having a boss. And (laughs) I kind of looked at college as a, a ticking clock. I had four years to start my own business or I was going to go into the real world and, and never look back. And so when I got to college, I remember getting ripped off my first semester buying and selling books. Like I'd buy hundreds of dollars worth of books, sell them back for pennies on a dollar. I said, you know what? I'll do this myself. I, I started building relationships with different online distributors and I created an Amazon account. So that's how I got started was selling textbooks, how I got into Amazon in the beginning. And this was 2008, 2009. So no one really knew what Amazon was besides a bookstore. And I actually got a cease and desist letter from my college because I was stealing too much of their business. I had lines out my college dorm room door of people trying to sell me their books, which made me pivot and get into selling other products like baby products and toys on Amazon. So textbooks is really where I started, but I only did that for about six months. And so you're 20 years old and you start doing this thing on Amazon. It's starting to build up. What are, what are your friends and family? What are they thinking? Are they like, this is not a nine to five job. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are their thoughts? So my friends thought I was crazy. Uh, people that didn't know me, but saw what I was doing, thought I was running like a Ponzi scheme or something <laughs> sketchy. Um, my parents, I, so I had an internship at the time, a really good internship. I mean, they were paying me like 12 to 14 bucks an hour as a 19 year old, 20 year old, which was kind of unheard of even back then. Um, so I had like this job lined up after college if I stayed with them and, and they treated me well. And I remember making more money on my phone than I was in the actual internship. And I told my parents I was quitting and they didn't want me to do that. Um, they thought that the safer route was to get the job and the health insurance and all that. But to my parents' credit, I mean, they've always been supportive no matter what I did. So once I made that decision, they were 100% behind me. And I'm sure having a son that's an entrepreneur all over the place isn't that easy either. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, my good friends, I mean, they thought it was weird, but there was also some benefits. I mean, I was making more money than I, any college kid should be making. I was able to, to buy a car in cash and do other stuff like that. And so um, I, I think after a while, they, they realized it was legit. I think um, even after Amazon, when I started free up and then eventually sold free up, I think people started to take me a little bit more seriously. But I, I think at some point, and every entrepreneur goes through this, you, you have to flick that switch of like, stop caring what people think about you. And I think people looking over my shoulder in class when I'm listing baby products on Amazon, you can only do that if you don't care what people think about you. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you're definitely lucky because usually people who are not entrepreneurs, especially parents, they don't really want that for their children because they're kind of nervous. It's risky. And so you kind of got lucky that your parents were not entrepreneurs and still were able to kind of back you up. Yeah, I think my parents' mentality was always, hey, as long as you don't have to come home after college, as long as you don't end up homeless on our doorstep, we're going to support you no matter what you do. So luckily, I didn't end up on their doorstep. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then going back to, to free up, I know you spoke a little bit about kind of getting them uh, from the initial concept of like Fiverr and Upwork, and then you kind of created your own system. What was the process of getting or finding these VAs, obviously you don't live anywhere near them. It's kind of like, uh, they're kind of hidden other than platforms like FreeUp. So what's the process of initially getting or finding the VAs to get on the platform to begin with? 
Yeah, so we kind of had a little bit of advantage because we had been selling on Amazon and Amazon's very seasonal, right? You sell a lot in the fourth quarter and we had built up these, this Rolodex of, of VAs and freelancers that knew Amazon really well. So when we launched FreeUp, we went after Amazon sellers. We were really a marketplace for Amazon sellers to get Amazon VAs, Amazon freelancers. So we took a lot of the VAs from our Amazon Rolodex and said, hey, what if we find you clients? We'll take a percentage. We moved them over to FreeUp. They really liked it because we would match them up quickly. They didn't have to deal with the Upworks and the Fivers. And then once we had these VAs, it was very easy to go to clients and say, hey, you're an Amazon seller. I'm an Amazon seller. Like we have people we trust, like come try FreeUp. And that's how we got people in the door. Now, Shortly after that, we ran out of VAs, ran out of freelancers, and we had to build a recruitment program and, and start recruiting, um, running ads. Well, we didn't really do that many ads. A lot of organic marketing. We created a referral program early on on both the client and the freelancer side where anyone you refer, you make money for every hour they bill forever, and that's still in place over there. So um, that, that helped a lot too. We started getting a lot of referrals, and that's really how we um, built it up from scratch. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that that referral program that when I heard you just say they get paid for every hour they work, my eyes just lit up. I'm like, wow, that's an amazing opportunity. Um, and so when you were originally starting, what kind of advantage do you think that you had? Or what was your unique selling point compared to something like onlinejobs.ph or some of those other websites? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those websites, they're, they're free for alls, right? Anyone can create an account, you get a post a job, you get 50, 100 people to apply, whatever it is, you go through them one by one. And the average entrepreneur just doesn't have time to do that. As you can tell, I talk fast, I move fast. Like I don't, I don't want to go through that many applicants. So I think the first thing is speed, but also speed that comes with pre-vetting. So we would get thousands of applicants every week. I think now FreeUp gets like 2,500 applicants a week. They let on the top 1% and then they match them up quickly. So the client gets one to three applicants, can get started on the project right away, knows they're pre-vetted. Customer service has always been my background. So anyone that had even the smallest issue was treated extremely well, extremely quickly. And then the back end, a no turnover guarantee that none of those platforms have where if someone quits for any reason, they cover replacement costs and get them a new person right away. So it was really those four things, the, the pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service and the protection, which helped us stand out. Mm -hmm. And I know, so obviously you're, you're not really with focused as much on free up now, but when, when you did, what do you, what was kind of like the process with someone found a VA, um, you know, they had everything set. What was the process on the back end for more of them personally? What's the best way to create different systems and processes for them? Uh, in terms of matching the client up with the VA and freelancer? No. So in terms of once they find a VA and this person's good, what's the best way to create different systems to train them to be able to actually effectively do those tasks? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the whole point of Astro School, right? Because you can go to free up and get like really good pre-vetted VAs and freelancers. Like that's where we get our VAs and freelancers from. But if you don't know what to do with those VAs and freelancers after the fact, it, it only does you so much good. So for me, it's kind of breaking it down into the interviewing, the onboarding, the training, and the managing. Not sure we have time to go through all of that, yeah. but quick summary, like interviewing, you want to vet them for skill, attitude, and communication, not just skill set, uh, making sure that they have that full combination. For onboarding, you want to get on the same page with expectations about schedule, about issues, about communication, about culture, and making sure that everything's in writing so you don't run into issues down the line. Training is all about SOPs, creating really good processes, valuing your time at the highest possible level as an entrepreneur and management. And all this is in our Cracking the VA Code course. It's from meetings to building team leaders, to assistant team leaders, to having a process for dealing with issues, to having a process 
for firing people, for having raises and bonus programs, like all that goes into managing. And obviously it's all about retaining people. Once you've invested time, energy, and money into interviewing, onboarding, and training, how do you get them to stick around in the long term? So it's really, it, it took us five years to kind of master that process. And that's why I, I'm really excited about Outsource School because I always wish back in the day someone just like handed me a process I could implement right away with the, net, with the new hire. Yeah, and I know every single person and every single VA and every single company is different, but what do you think is the standard kind of turnaround time from kind of finding them to hiring them if it's like someone's first VA and they don't really know the process? Yeah, I mean, the matching process on FreeUp is pretty quick, uh, usually a day or less, sometimes hours or less, maybe two days if it's a weekend or a holiday or some kind of crazy, um, not, not average position. Um, but then from there, I mean, the interview, the, the, at least the interview process that we teach takes between 20 to 40 minutes, and then you can onboard them the next day. Sometimes we'll onboard them even later that day if it's a great interview, and that's another 20 to 40 minutes. So depending on how you space it out, you're, you're talking a, a day or two, maybe a week, something where in that vicinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's great that you kind of combined your you know old company with FreeUp into a way to not only to, to not only just learn more, but to be actually able to utilize that, right? So if someone has free up and they find a VA, it's, it's a whole nother, another ball game to try and actually use them effectively and, and treat them the right way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we're partnered with them. I mean, anyone that joins Outsource School gets a free $50 credit to free up and people from free up or the new owners of free up send people to Outsource School. They just blasted us today to their community. So we have a great relationship with them. But our, our systems and processes apply no matter where you hire the VA, whether you go to free up, go find them on your own, go to another marketplace. Um, it's all the same systems. And I would even argue that a lot of them um, work towards hiring in the US or wherever, even though that, that I'm more into hiring and, and hiring VA or hiring remote and hiring VAs. Mm-hmm. And when you created this four step system and you created the course for outsource school, what kind of research had to be done? I know obviously a lot of it was through your own experience, but to create these, you know, uh, you know, fill in the blank type systems. Yeah. So I wouldn't say we did research because we kind of already had these processes. What it really was is five years of bad hires, five years of making (laughs) mistakes from when I was 20 to 25, because it's funny, every time you jump from business to business, you you learn a little bit. So with our Amazon business, we grew, had a lot of revenue, but we didn't know how to hire people. So we spent five years figuring out how to hire people. Well, jumping into free up, we knew how to hire people. So building the internal team to free up came together relatively quickly because we had those processes in place. But with the Amazon business, we didn't have to grow a brand. We didn't have to market. That's what Amazon does. That's why you pay Amazon 15%. They have all the customers. And, and so we had to learn how to market and build a group brand from scratch, whether it's going on podcasts, backlinks, building partnerships, um, really getting building awareness, putting out content, like all that we had to learn. So we had to take this hiring process and it took one to three years, depending on, on how well you think we did, um, to come up with all, with all these systems and processes around using VAs and some of it, the VA would do everything like the backlinks, other things the VA would do maybe 90% of it. Like they would do the podcast research. I'd reach out to the podcast. I'd go on the podcast. I do the last 10%. So, and they would send the email after the podcast. So creating all these systems. So now we jump to outsource school and we have the hiring, which we figured out. We have this organic marketing playbook that we're excited to teach people through outsource school. So we're trying to implement what it took two years of free up in, in like six months of building outsource school. And we're kind of in the phase of setting all that up, but we've never run a membership site before. We've never run a software um, recurring revenue model before. So th- now we're kind of figuring that stuff out. So as you go from business to business, you take what you learned, you apply it, and then you continue to learn new things and hopefully carry that forward to future businesses. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of, of, like you said, those five years of hiring, you kind of, you're taking away that, that failure that other people will experience in, in their first hiring. You're kind of minimizing that as much as possible because of the vetting process and because of the training systems. But one of the most common misconceptions with VAs or one of the hardest things to deal with that I think people think is the actual company culture and the culture between, you know, us and, you know, people overseas. So what have been some effective ways you've done or what is your kind of approach to building a great company culture on a remote team? Yeah. So first of all, understanding what your culture is up front is important. Everyone's culture is a little different. We're all about ideas. We're all about feedback. We're all about working together, being positive, having that long-term vision. And we actually have a culture meeting with all our VAs every other week. And we go through the culture. We make sure people are on the same page. Now, culture and turnover are more similar than, than people think. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are in the mentality that it's all about money. We had these big group chats on FreeUp and every day I would post a question and, and one of the days I posted like, what makes your favorite client? In my mind, I'm thinking, whatever client pays the most money, right? Like pretty <laughs> cut and dry, like that's the favorite client. But that's not at all what any VA said. And it really helped us create what we call our BARF method now, which is kind of a funny acronym, but it stands for buying in, appreciation, building relationships, and creating a family environment. So buying in is letting them know why you started this business, why you're passionate about it, what the long-term vision is, how the work that they're doing impacts the bigger picture. Showing appreciation is not being the client that only talks to them when they mess up and saying, hey, great job, or hey, that you crushed this project, but can't wait to work with you next week. Um, building relationship is connecting with them on social media, letting them know about your personal interests, getting to know them and their family. And I'm the godfather of one of my VA's kids. You don't have to go that far, but getting to know them on a personal level. And then building family, especially if you hire from the Philippines, they're all about family. A lot of them have big families. They live with their family. Their church is their family. They have outside families in their community. And building a family on your team where they each like each other is incredibly important. And when you combine all that with spending extra time knowing what your culture is and making sure that you're vetting and hiring people and not sacrificing people that don't have that culture just because they're good at a particular task, that, that all together is what leads to not only a great culture, but extremely low turnover over time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And with that, how are you able to kind of give people that not, not personalized attention, but make them feel like they're part of that family when you have so many VAs, right? If you're getting on a call every other week, I mean, it's, it's tons of people on that call. So how are you able to, to kind of deal with that effectively? Yeah. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs that, that, so every entrepreneur is different, right? There's people that have just never hired before. There's people who have hired before and struggled. There's people who have hired before and had some success, but then when they get to, let's say 10, 12 VAs, they wake up one day and they're like, oh my God, I'm managing like 12 people. They're all reporting to me. And that's not how you want to set it up. You want to have team leaders and assistant team leaders. And when we had 35 people at FreeUp, we didn't have 35 people reporting to Nate. We had four team leaders and we would have team leader meetings. So we had a meeting with everyone every Monday morning and quick culture thing. We would, the first thing we do for the first five minutes, everyone would show a picture from their weekend and everyone would get to interact and get to know each other. Then we dive into what happened last week, what goes on next week. And we have the exact structure in our cracking the VA code. But then we'd have individual team, team meetings. So we'd have a team leader meeting with just the leaders, but then a billing meeting, a, a social media team meeting, a customer service team meeting. So you're not interacting with all of them at once. You're depending on the team leaders to also be on top of their team, know what's going well, go what's, know what's not going well, both personally and business-wise. Um, and then you are interacting them on some level when you're speaking with that team or once a week as a whole in, in a more generic setting. 
Mm-hmm. And in terms of those team leaders, um, what is the difference in terms, or is there a difference in terms of like structure of pay for the team leaders versus like VA? Some of them do hourly, some of them get salary. What is that looking like? So I'm a big fan of paying people hourly. I, I think that fixed pricing, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I, I think a lot of people just do fixed pricing wrong um, and, and they'll hire someone for a hundred bucks a week or whatever, but then the person doesn't get motivated because the person's setting it up where, hey, if you work 50 hours a week, you still get paid for 40 and all that. So I like to pay people hourly. If you're going to do fixed price, what I've done is, hey, your fixed price is this and that equals X amount of hours. And if you work more, I'll pay you hourly on top of that or you can just give good bonuses, however you wanna do it. Now with team leaders, the way that we structured it is their pay would go up as the business went up. So they were 100% committed. Also keep in mind, you don't wanna lose team leaders. Having team leaders quit on you destroys your business. Not only is it impossible to replace, but it kills morale, other people look to leave. So we wanna make it so they, they get paid well, they want the business to succeed. So we used a measuring point of, build hours per week. That was just a metric that made sense with FreeUp. We build clients every Thursday. We could see how many hours we build every week. And so every time we'd hit a, either a $500 or a $1,000 um, next threshold, their pay would go up depending on who it was. The team leaders and the assistant team leaders had different thresholds. So that was an easy way to make it so their pay went up over time. And we had team leaders who started off at three bucks an hour. And by the time we sold FreeUp, they were making over 20 bucks an hour. That's pretty motivated. They're not going anywhere. And even when we sold FreeUp, we took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our internal team from the Philippines and made sure the team leaders were treated very well because they were a big part of growing the business. And we also made sure not only were their jobs secure, but those raise programs that we set up were still in place with the new owners and they deserve that. So there's a certain way to go about it to make sure you're treating them well. They get rewarded. You all win together and you're not dealing with that turnover. Yeah. And I think a lot of people kind of deal with, with the whole culture difference as well, because you know they don't I mean, most of them are English speaking, but for the most part, you know, they have different values, different culture. And so that's been a a big issue for a lot of entrepreneurs just getting started. Um, And I know we spoke about you uh, going on all these calls with team leaders, with actual, you know, the the, the VAs who are doing more of the actual uh, work itself. And so how are you able to kind of divide your workload and and work on on the different calls and projects and, and big picture thinking? What is a day in the life look like for you? And obviously you made time for this podcast. So there's a lot of different things going on. What does that look like? Uh, Yeah, my typical day. So an important part of working remote and just being a business owner in general is knowing when you're most productive doing specific things. So for me, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., or sorry, from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., that's my most productive time of the day. Whatever my most important task is, that's what I want to do. So I don't want to book podcasts between 7 and 9 a.m. That's when I'm working on courses, big projects. From 9 to 10, I work out. I get a quick break that gives me another pretty productive hour from 10 to 11. And then from 11 to two, outside of this podcast, because I think I made an exception, but normally I do podcasts between that 11 and two o'clock because I don't like doing podcasts early in the morning when that's when I'm most productive. I don't love doing podcasts in the afternoon, late in the afternoon, because usually I'm pretty tired from just working all day. So that's when I do the podcast mid-afternoon and then phone calls at the end of the day. And I didn't wake up one day with this structure. I kind of learned this over time and, and what makes sense for me. So Normally I do one podcast a day, that's in the afternoon. I have phone calls, whether they're networking calls, I try to network with new entrepreneurs every day, could be potential client calls, partner calls, that's in the afternoon, and whatever projects I'm working on, or team meetings, um, or training new VAs, whatever that is, that's always in the morning. And so how did you find this, this perfect you know, golden hour of when you were most productive? What did you do? Was it just over time you just found that 
at 7 a.m. is just your, your most productive time? Or how can someone who wants to adopt a similar type of schedule figure out when they're most uh, productive? Yeah, so I think it takes a little bit of experimenting. It takes a little bit of trial and error. I think the starting point is figure out what are the two hours per day you're most productive because everything else circles around that. And some people, it's 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning. I, I have a friend that's like that. I don't know how he does it, but figure out what those two hours are and then build your schedule around that and do a little tweaking and adjusting. And also make sure your VA is on the same page. I mean, I use a VA to schedule all my stuff. I let her know like I, I, how many phone calls I want to do a day, how many podcasts, when she should and shouldn't book stuff. And I give her feedback over time. At the end of the day, if, if it was too crazy, too out of control, things didn't make sense, I'm going to say, hey, let's not make any more days like that. Go through my calendar. Let, let's fix it. So it takes a little bit of trial and error. And so with these schedules, how are, how can I say this? How are you able to uh, schedule it not only effectively, but kind of work with the hours of the, the VAs? Because obviously there are on the other side of the world. So how are you able to balance that while still going to bed at, you know, a normal hour and not staying up till 2am just to just get on a call with them? Well, it's all about setting expectations up front. Like if I, if I need someone nine to five Eastern time, I'm only going to hire a VA that wants to work nine to five Eastern time that we're hundred percent on the same page. That's when she's worked. Hopefully she's worked that before, or I'm not going to hire someone as an experiment to see if she can figure it out. So there's that factor. And there's other roles that are flexible. Like I have a bunch of lead generation and podcast hours people that are flexible and I don't really care when they work, but the agreement is that I get an email sent to me at seven o'clock every morning with a list of podcasts for me to reach out to. And, and that's how it works. And then we have a check-in point each meet. Hey, this is when we meet. So a lot of times you know what the schedule you need is, know if you actually need it to be flexible, but don't make it so flexible that you don't have any times that are overlapped and that there's no check-in points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with those big day-to-day, you know, those peak produ- productivity hours, what is someone like you working in this space? What are you doing in those hours? I know you talked about a little bit about courses, but what are some of the main tasks that you do every single day? Uh, do a podcast, have networking calls, meeting other entrepreneurs, partnership calls. Um, I work on whatever that project is. Like right now we're building a membership site. We're building courses. So I'm a little bit more in building mode. I meet with my partners, uh, more high level strategy stuff and and meetings with my team or training my team. Mm -hmm. And so anyone, who would you who would you recommend not go into this? So like, what are you doing that it's, that you do basically most of your day that if someone did not like doing this, that it would not be a good fit for them? Well, the beauty of being an entrepreneur is you, you don't have to like doing everything. You don't have to master doing everything. Uh, you do have to find people that have the same values, the same beliefs as you, but have opposite skill sets. You usually don't need two of yourself. So like with my business partner, Connor, he does a lot of stuff that I don't like doing. Could I build our website and handle a lot of technical stuff on the back end? Maybe I'm a reasonably smart person. If I put enough effort into it, I'm, I'm sure I could do it. Do I want to spend hours a day doing it? Definitely not. Does he want to go on podcasts? No, he'd much rather, I don't know, do whatever. Like that's like the least thing he'd, he'd ever want to do. So you find someone that wants the same thing, has the same values, but has the different skills. And then the decision becomes, do I make them a business partner or am I just hiring them as my employee, my VA, freelancer or whatever? Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously that I kind of have a similar thing with my co-founder, Apple. He does more of like the back end operations side and I'm focused on the front end, you know, sales, marketing partnerships. And so we've kind of created that healthy balance. And so with that dynamic and with all the stuff that you do on a day to day, what do you think that you do differently that makes you successful in the industry or more successful than, than maybe some other entrepreneurs? So I'm not a big proponent of 
like long, like spending a lot of time every day on, on a project. Like you, you'll never see me spend eight hours a day filming a course or like eight hours a day doing research. For me, it's all about small, consistent efforts. So we're launching a course every month. Every day I write one script or I record one video. That's it. I network with three new entrepreneurs every single day. And I'm just talking about reaching out to them. So the first thing I do every morning is I reach out to them. I do one podcast every day. By the end of the year, I've been on 300 plus podcasts. So it's all about small, consistent efforts. And I think I probably do that better than most. Maybe I'm a, I'm a crazy person, but it takes a lot to, um, to get me out of a rhythm. If, if I commit to something like right now, even on a personal level, I work out one hour every single day besides a day or two off a week. And I'm learning Vietnamese. I study Vietnamese 15 minutes a day, like every single day. I'm reading a book. I, I read 20 pages a day every single day. So it's all about small, consistent efforts over time. And you look back two years later and you're like, oh my God, I, I accomplished a lot. Yeah. And so looking at that, that two years later or looking into the future with all these micro actions that you're doing every single day, where do you see yourself in three to five years? What's the goal with all these daily actions? <laughs> I'm like the worst long-term thinker. That's just <laughs> not my thing. I'm very much focused on the short term. Uh, I think Connor, my business partner, the what, one reason we compliment each other is he much more focused in the long term. I mean, my, my goal right now is to grow outsource school. I mean, I, I didn't sell free up to grow a smaller business. I sold free up to hopefully build a, a bigger business. So that, that, that's the, the goal there. But things change over time. If you had asked me two months ago if I'd be running a membership site, like that, that kind of evolved over time. We're still pretty early. So I think I'm much more focused on what do I need to do today? What do I need to do this week? And I think that makes me successful with someone like Connor, who's much more focused on the long-term vision. And we can have those conversations and, and say, hey, okay, that long-term vision is great, but if we don't do the things this week, that's not going to happen. So I, I don't have any like, hey, I want to weigh X amount or something. I don't really do that. I don't really like count calories or count weight or anything. For me, it's more about um, just getting better and better over time and, and having fun doing it. I mean, I'm kind of at a point in my life, I, I'm 31. I, I can be wherever I want. I can for the most part, I guess with COVID, I can't travel and be wherever I want. But outside of that, um, I have pure flexibility really in all parts of my life to do what I like every single day. And I really just don't spend time doing things that I don't want to do. And, and I, I mean, yeah, that's all I can say. Yeah. And, and speaking about giving yourself a lot more freedom and, and time to do whatever you want, when do you think is the right time for someone to get a VA, right? So if they're just starting their business, when, at what point do you recommend, all right, now it's time where, you know, you've made a little money. Now it's time for you to start outsourcing. What does that period look like? Yeah. So everyone's always focused on like, when's the exact right time to hire a VA. And the truth is you're never going to get it right. Like to the day, that's just not how business or life works. You're either going to hire too early or too late. And you just have to be okay with the pros and cons of each one. If you hire one too early in your business, you might spend a little bit of money, then maybe your business doesn't work out or whatever. There might be some downside there depending on your business. On the flip side, if you hire too late, there's an opportunity cost you might miss. You might not be able to grow as fast. So you got to pick one or the other. I tend to hire a little bit too early. To me, I always value my time more than I value my money. I can always make more money, can't get time back. So right now we're at a place with outsource school. We just ran a Mother's Day promotion. It went over pretty well. We could take that money and put it in our pocket. We just sold the company. We don't necessarily have to do that. So we're going to invest that into hiring VAs maybe a little bit earlier than we would have in a company when I was 23 and we didn't have that money. We needed that to pay our student debt. So everyone's in a different position in their life, in their business, and you have to make those decisions. Um, but for me, it, it comes down to how quickly are you trying to go after it? Um, how aggressive do you want to be? And that's what you have to figure out as a business owner. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. And a lot of people, that's that's their main question. But the main thing is, you know, how to get the resource and how to use it effectively. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you if your business is, is doing well and you have the right systems in place, you know, like you said, that extra day or that extra week won't really make or break the company. So I think it's just important for people to just understand the value of a virtual assistant and to take advantage of it as soon as possible. Because I mean, they, they've been doing wonders for my company. And I know they do uh, wonders for a ton of companies as well. But one of the final questions I wanted to ask you was about uh, crisis like this, the coronavirus. How has that impacted the VA culture? And I know a lot of stuff is uh, going down in, in parts of uh, Asia and stuff like that. So how has that impacted it? Have people taken day off? Have you made different systems? Uh, yeah, good question. So, I mean, we've been checking in with our VAs. We're checking in with the, the VAs that were part of the buyout and free up and making sure everyone's good. I mean, they, they kind of the, I guess the only good thing is they were already working remote. They were used to being home most of the time. So that part hasn't really changed. I think it's, it's a scary time for everyone. And no matter what I say, it's going to continue to be scary. I think more importantly, if you're, if you're running a business that, that's been profitable, where you've had success and other people have helped you have success, you should take this time to make sure you're taking care of your people, continuing to pay them to whatever capacity that you can. If you can, giving them options. Do they want to reduce their hours, reduce their pay? Can you help them find a signed client? Can you give them a referral? Whatever you can do to help them. And if you can't and you have to let them go, continue to check in on them and, and update them and, and have get updates and see how they're doing. And I think what a lot of businesses don't understand is the, the, if I was a VA or if I was anyone that was looking for a job after this, the first question I'm asking at for every job interview for the rest of my life is how did you treat your people during coronavirus? And the businesses that treated their people well and that communicated at a high level because everyone was affected differently and did everything possible to make sure their people were taken care of personally, financially, they're going to have a huge competitive advantage going forward. And the businesses that made a lot of money the past 10 years and the second the time got tough, cut everyone they're going to struggle to hire the talent that now uh, values that at a very high level. So that's kind of my own personal thing. And I'm fortunate enough where the VAs I know at least, and I know a lot of VAs haven't, I don't think I know one that, that has COVID knock on wood um, or that has been seriously affected. Uh, most of them continue to have jobs and clients and I'm very grateful for that. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, I know in my side, there's a few little hiccups there, but it's, it's definitely something to be concerned about because, you know, if, if there's like a power outage or something like that in the Philippines, like, you know, there's not much you could do, but um, I guess just having systems in place to create, you know, if something happens here, what can we do to kind of quickly adjust? And I think it's really important that you've kind of created those systems within uh, the organization organization itself. Um, and so just like a final thing, what are some, what's some, like a piece of advice that you would give to someone who either wants to hire a VA or wants to get into the whole scope of entrepreneurship, what is something that you would tell yourself when you were just getting started with that Amazon business uh, that you wish you kind of knew? Yeah, it's all about low risk, high reward situations. We live in an incredible time where it doesn't cost a ton of money to start an online business or try different tactics, whether it's marketing tactics, lead generation, business ideas, whatever it is. So get out there, try lots of small things. What doesn't work, pull back, try it again later with a different approach. What does work, spend more time, spend more money on. And that's really how I've done it. I've never once created a business plan or said, hey, this is what I'm going to be in five years. I've started with a small idea, listened to feedback and, and slowly tweaked it and, and built it over time. Awesome. Well, Nathan, thank you again for hopping on the show. Where can people find out more about you? Just plug your social media, the courses, anything you're working on right now. 
Yeah, so I'm one of the easiest entrepreneurs to, to contact uh, Nathan Hirsch on Facebook or LinkedIn, the real Nate Hirsch on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, connect with me there. Check out Outsource School. We have this free productivity course. Uh, it takes an hour, but it's going to make you faster every single day. You can grab that. If you're interested in becoming a member of Outsource School, we got a lot of great stuff coming out that you're going to get access to going forward. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to helping a lot of you. Awesome. Thanks again, Nathan. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.